Ukraine as long as it took to win the war. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and Ada Wong is co-presenter. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme at our new time of 9.05, we're talking about uh, a very common topic that inevitably generates a great deal of discussion, the requirement to wear face masks in public. The mask mandate has been with us for almost a 1,000 days and was recently extended to March the 8th. But expectations are rising that it will finally be relaxed uh, sometime soon and possibly very soon. Meanwhile, uh, residents and visitors uh, to Macau can now go mask-free in outdoor settings. While uh, health officials, uh, officials stress that the mask rule has added a layer of protection during the pandemic period, there are others in different sectors and many residents who look forward to face coverings becoming a matter of personal choice once again. You can uh, tell us what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on 233 And after 9.45, uh, we'll be looking at the impact of new rules for children's television. Uh, we have uh, a couple of guests uh, lined up for the start of our main topic this morning. Just before we go to them, I'd just like to deal with um, a couple of emails uh, that we had uh, yesterday, which I didn't have time to, to read out. Uh, uh, yesterday we were talking about uh, more measures in the budget and measures to do with uh, uh, ESG, uh, Environment, Social and Government. Uh, on, the, on the environment uh, part of it, um, uh, Richard writes, uh, uh, good morning. I note that Mike Rouse, that was uh, yesterday's uh, co-presenter, Mike Rouse, uh, said Hong Kong is doing something towards wind energy. This is not the case. Unless I'm wrong, there is one token windmill on Lama. Hong Kong has a very good potential for wind and the Hong Kong government should be doing a lot, a lot more to promote this. Another win-win would be to cover the reservoirs with solar PV. This would provide uh, both greater clean generation capacity while reducing water loss by evaporation. In regard to green financing, to wait for the market to drive the necessary change uh, that is very urgently needed is not going to work. Eventually the markets uh, might get behind this, but there will always be more money to make uh, from established energy systems like fossil fuels and uh, Richard urges uh, urgent action as soon as possible. Next time Mike is on, I'll give him a chance to uh, respond to that, actually. Uh, and uh, a short one here from Tim says, uh, can you please tell me the new schedule? That's the new... Uh Radio 3 schedule on weekday mornings. Uh, well, it, it's uh, it's on our website, uh, Tim, but uh, um, just to uh, state it here, so uh, Money Talk is now on from 8.05 until 9, extended to one hour. Back chat from 9.05 to 10, and Brunch with Noreen starts at uh, shortly after 10 until midday. And another email from John, actually, on this morning's topic, says, uh, uh, in the past it was nice to be a Hong Konger as people looked on in amazement at the place, but now people look on in amazement for a different reason, the continued mandate of masks. And uh, uh, we've had a lot of correspondence from listeners uh, talking about how other places in the world have dropped the mask mandate uh, quite a long time ago, and Hong Kong is one of the last places where you still see so many face masks. Um, I mean, to talk about it, we have now on the line uh, Dr. 
uh, Vijay Krishna, Dana Sakharan, who's an associate professor at the Division of Public Health Laboratory Sciences at the University of Hong Kong, and Professor Haiyan Song, associate dean at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Um, good morning to you both. Um, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, Professor Dana Sakharan, uh, we heard you in the news just now uh, talking about this, um, and, and on our Hong Kong Today program uh, earlier, you were saying uh, the, the dropping of the mask uh, mandate, this could have been done um, quite a bit earlier in your view. Uh, good morning, Jim. Uh, certainly, I, I certainly think that the mask mandate should have been dropped uh, a long time ago. This would have been immediately after the large fifth wave that we had very early in the year. Um, as This is mainly because the only problem. Uh, hello, sorry. Uh, I, the problems. Yeah. Hello. Yes. Ha yeah. Hello. Yeah. We were losing you for a moment there. Might might be a bit of a faulty connection. But ca ca um, sorry. Is that yeah. better now? Can I continue? Uh, yes. 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 That's clear. Sure. Yes. Uh, like I was saying, uh, I think it's because um, the what is really affecting each and individual wave is really the population level immunity. When when the immunity goes down, the infectious rate of the virus is super high. So it is going to infect. Um, as many people it can find. So really, I think the masks work really only at the individual level and not really at the population level in Hong Kong anymore. Okay. Uh, both the both the main uh, English language newspapers, the SEMP and the uh, Hong Kong Standard, uh, have uh, front page uh, items today saying that, uh, quoting sources, saying the mask mandate may be ended as early as tomorrow and there may be an announcement today. Um, but it, uh, they're also saying... The, uh, the requirement for wearing masks outdoors and indoors at the same time will be dropped, which may come as a, a bit of a surprise to some people. Um, this is not really a strange thing. I think it's mainly because how you're going to uh, police them anymore once if such a difference happens. But, that, but again, another thing is, like I said, uh, masks at the population scale doesn't work really well. Um, and um, as, as your immunity wanes, you are going to get infected by you know, another variant eventually when, when, because the virus is circulating in the community. And another thing is um, most of the time that you actually take masks off that are permitted during the last year was really indoors, uh, especially when we were eating, dining and, and, and drinking and things like that. So, so really, I think there's, there's not really any use now when, when, when they have an indoor mask. People are going to wear a mask when they enter a building and then take off the mask once, once they enter a, a restaurant. That, that all sounds really strange. And, and do you foresee a uh, surge uh, in the infection rate, um, you know, when we don't really have the mask mandate anymore? Um, I mean, I'm, I, mean I, I really think that the mask mandate, I mean, once you drop the mask mandate, are the infections going to rise? I don't really think so. Uh, mainly because uh, the, the COVID infections globally uh, is at a lower rate now, so there's not too many viruses coming into the community. And um, we've, we've had a large wave and we've had continuous infections, um, smaller waves and people traveling and getting infected. And, and I think the, the immunity towards uh, COVID at the moment is pretty high at the population scale. Um, the only worry that I have is always the elderly and the most vulnerable population, and that's not just a pandemic worry. That's a worry that we always have for all respiratory diseases in particular. And the government needs to focus on these vulnerable populations which are at high risk, and I think that's what the more focus needs to be now rather than worrying about whether the general population itself is wearing a mask or not. Mm. And it is still the Omicron, right? Because I have not actually, um, you know, checked. Are there any new strains that we should be worried about? 
Um, not really, actually. I mean, um, people have been highlighting uh, every now and then with the emergence of new variants. Um, like, you know, there's recombination, the XBB 1.5, which is circulating globally. But what evidence we really have are gathering now and is accumulating is that the past infections really quite protect us from any new variants that are emerging. And, you know, people are even trying to give, you know, nicknames uh, to these variants, trying to make these important. But really, when you look at the hospital data, it's not really converting into cases showing that science works, immunity works really well, vaccines work, and past infections with hyperimmunity works even better. And based on all these evidences, I don't really think if we, if we, even if we have a new variant with substantial mutations, it's not going to have the impact um, that we had uh, last early last year. Okay. okay, well, well, let's go to Professor uh, Haiyan Song, and, uh, and after that we'll hear from uh, um, Alan Zeman, the chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group. But uh, uh, Professor Song has, uh, has uh, been on the line for a while. Um, obviously, there's the public health angle to this, and there's the economic and finance angle to this. And, and you're, in, uh, uh, you're at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at, uh, at PolyU. Um, would you expect that then once the mask mandate is dropped, uh, we're going to see uh, you know, a, a big increase in the number of arrivals? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm not an expert in uh, public health, so that no. I'm, I'm not commenting so on of course, the of course, yeah, public yeah, health yeah, issue, but, let's, but I can, let's, I can, let's talk yeah, about tourism. Yeah, yeah. I can uh, comment on the influence on, on tourism. Mm. Uh, as we, uh, In terms of tourism, we are in hospitality business, right? Mm. In hospitality, you need to interact with uh, tourists, uh, with your guests, you show your empathy, you want to show your friendliness and welcoming attitude. All this actually requires some sort of a communication through facial expression. Uh, Hong Kong people are known for their you know, hospitality, warm attitude toward international tourists, but if they are covering themselves uh, with masks, and you cannot actually communicate well with tourists. So their experience may be affected, negatively affected, so we know the quality, service quality is related to uh, the embassy of the server or the employees uh, towards tourists. And uh, if, you know, uh, you cannot show your hospitality, how can you serve people well? So this actually will have a negative impact on tourist perception of Hong Kong uh, uh, tourism industry and the service quality. So when people are going back, they say, you know, everyone in Hong Kong cover themselves with a facial mask, and then the, there's an active perception towards Hong Kong as international tourist destination. Mm. Probably uh, Hong Kong is the last destination still has uh, this mandate. Mm. Mm. Okay, and, and in Alaska, um, one or two months, uh, you know, we see more tourists coming, and um, they seem to be quite okay with wearing a mask. Do, do you think that, um, um, you know, this really affects um, the incoming uh, people? And, and you yes, expect a yeah. big, uh, big search? Yeah, they have, they have to wear masks because there's a, a mandate, right? So for people who are really, really want to come back to Hong Kong, either for business or visiting their relative and friends, they will have to wear the mask because this is required. But for majority of the tourists from other uh, countries uh, like Europe, America, Australia, actually, they don't wear masks at home at all. Then they come to Hong Kong 
you know, they were made to wear masks. They feel a little bit strange, you know, uncomfortable, uh, and sometimes they forgot. And then uh, when they are pointed out, uh, they have some sense of guilt, uh, guilty, you know, like a, uh, <laughs> commit some sort of crimes. So actually this is uh, uh, perhaps uh, is, uh, is not... Uh, uh, beneficial to uh, tourism uh, in Hong Kong uh, if it is still a mandate. Mm. Uh, um, Alan Zeman, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we mentioned earlier, of course, that uh, uh, Macau uh, has dropped the mask mandate for, for, outs- for, 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 for if you're outside anyway. Um, but, but it means uh, but tourists are still going to have to carry masks around with them, aren't they? Because uh, you know, they have, well, to wear, have to wear them on public transport. It's, and it's, Yeah, I mean, basically... Uh, in Macau, both outside and inside, like inside the casinos, uh, the staff don't have to wear masks either. Mm. And so um, it's, they carry around masks uh, basically just in case they have to go on public transport or anything like that. Uh, they still have um, to, to carry masks. But I think that, uh, you know, going forward, and some, some countries do that, uh, I think uh, going forward, uh, hopefully, if we can get the announcement that masks in Hong Kong will get withdrawn. It does affect, it has affected. I know a lot of tourists have come back and uh, and are wearing masks, but a lot are not. I got, um, I've been urging the government this even the past weekend uh, from John Lee down that uh, it is a problem. I'm getting a lot of messages from people, business people, who said that uh, they were supposed to have board meetings here. This one of the big investment funds was supposed to have a board meeting here with all the board members. And then when they saw the um, people wearing masks, uh, uh, that was a requirement. They changed the board meeting uh, over to make it in, in Europe. And so um, it, it does affect a lot of people. Uh, you know, this uh, Happy Hong Kong and uh, Hello Hong Kong mm. um, campaign that we're out there with, I told the government, it, I'm supposed to be trying to get people to the world to understand that Hong Kong has opened up, but then they see um, videos of people walking the streets with masks on, and, and the rest of the world has moved on. So it is time that Hong Kong moves on. Um, and I understand some of the medical profession doesn't agree and that kind of thing, but the rest of the world can be crazy, and Hong Kong is not special. Even China was in China last week, and, I mean, it was... Uh, <laughs> It's optional if you want to wear masks. Some people are wearing masks. And listen, in Macau, many people, as of yesterday, were still wearing masks uh, because they just feel more comfortable. And that's fine. I think a lot of Hong Kong people, it's optional. If it's optional, they'll wear masks as well. But I think that it's really important. You know, we can see in 2018, the convention and exhibition industry attracted 1.7 million overnight visitors and brought in about, I think, 12 point. Two billion in economic benefits, and then each tourist spent up to eight thousand Hong Kong dollars per night on average. Now we need that desperately. You can see our finances are quickly being depleted, and, and uh, you know the handouts uh, after the budget that Paul Chan just gave out. It is important that we get that Hong Kong really has to be back. I mean, the Happy Hong Kong and Hello Hong Kong. Uh, the, the main attraction, of course, is the five hundred or eight hundred thousand free tickets that, that the airlines uh, and that the airport authority uh, has deemed to uh, go out, and that has made a lot of noise around the world. But I really do believe it is time now, and I, I told the government it's 
time now, we were always the leaders. Hong Kong has always been the leader in the world, in, in almost everything in the past, and that's what built Hong Kong. Mm. And so I don't want to be the follower, and that's exactly what we are, the last mm. one in the world. Mm. Everyone, almost everyone you speak to in Hong Kong is so relieved when the rumors were that hopefully the government will make an announcement very shortly, and uh, it will open up and, and, and uh, masks will be withdrawn. Mm. I agree that it should be uh, worn in hospitals and certain places that, uh, you know, uh, are important where infections might arise. But um, I think the rest of the, the rest of the uh, places in Hong Kong should be fine. I mean, that being said, uh, in Lang Phong, I can tell you, <laughs> uh, uh, December, January, February, and so March starting off, we've had a lot of, I mean, it's been record uh, turnover for many of the restaurants and bars and clubs, um, better than even uh, pre-2018, 2019. Mm. And, uh, and, and what's happened is there are a lot of mainland tourists, usually mm. after 9 o'clock or 9.30. A lot of mainland tourists are in the area, and uh, that's been a, a huge godsend to many of the businesses. Okay, Especially okay. after the drought of so many years. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So, so, so I just want to ask uh, a Professor Song as well, because I know you have to go at, uh, at 9.25, but um, can I just ask you about another development? So, so Japan and uh, South Korea have, have eased their restrictions on uh, people arriving uh, from Hong Kong and also from the mainland. How, how significant a development is that? Yeah, this actually helped uh, inbound tourism to Japan, uh, obviously. Probably the, uh, uh, has been uh, suffered quite a bit since the restriction introduced uh, after China reopened. Uh, but I, I think uh, this shows that uh, there's no um, uh, major negative influence on the local uh, and you know virus uh, spread, uh, spread. So I think that's just, uh, uh, it's a good thing and it's a science-based uh, policy. I think Hong Kong should uh, follow the same thing in terms of uh, lift, lift every uh, possible restrictions based on uh, science. Mm. Right, and, and do you see a big surge in the coming months? Uh, as Alan said, uh, you know, the bars and restaurants, um, you know, we are seeing lots of people in full house. Uh, but I understand that uh, for tourist numbers, it's um, is not uh, yet uh, recording sort of pre-COVID uh, figures yet. Uh, you know, it's a long, still a long way to go uh, in terms of uh, tourist arrivals to Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, if you look at uh, the other destinations and countries, regions where they uh, receive mass uh, tourism, you actually didn't see a, a sudden surge uh, of uh, infection of uh, COVID-19. I think uh, COVID-19 pandemic is over. I think this is uh, probably just another uh, kind of a seasonal flu. And if people want to protect themselves, let them to wear masks themselves, you know, give them freedom, give them cho- a choice uh, instead of, man- uh, you know, uh, mandatory uh, mask uh, ordinate. Mm. Okay, well, uh, well, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. That was Professor uh, Haiyan Song, Associate Dean at the School of Hotel and Tourism Management at uh, Polytechnic University. Still with us is uh, Dr uh, Vijay Danisakaran uh, from the School of Public Health at, uh, at uh, Lebr- uh, Hong Kong U. Um, and also uh, with us, of course, is uh, Alan Zeman, Chairman of the Lang Kwai Fong Group. Uh, um, Alan Zeman, you, you're a non-executive uh, Chairman of, uh, of Win Macau. Um, um, 
what's the do you, do you know what's the kind of feeling now among among people there is there is there a sort of a renewed sense of optimism that things are uh, you know certainly heading back to normal how they were before oh definitely i mean since chinese new year's there's been a, a an abundance of tourists coming back and uh i was there over the chinese new year just after chinese new year and there's still so many chinese tourists around uh it's back to almost hopefully the good old days um, and so i think i think uh, in general um there's a, a much better feeling i mean as i said i was in china last week and you wouldn't even know that for three years we're basically almost kept in prison basically and and uh, everybody's out in the streets shopping uh, eating dining uh, having you know going to business uh, no even mentions and, uh, i mean i think it's time everybody's moved on the world has moved on if you travel anywhere so in thailand as well and uh you wouldn't even think that you don't even think of wearing a mask and and uh it's you know it's normal i mean one of the reasons hong kong tourism so far is still uh lacking the flights are you know the airlines have not recovered uh the flights to hong kong the airport is still uh lacking in the pre-covid days um when we we're the the highest amount of flights in the world uh, you know we're getting something like 100 million passengers a year at that time and so it, it's uh, we're still down it is increasing every daily though but we need more flights uh, even going to you know i was in phuket uh, and uh, you know there used to be three four flights a day five flights a day from that uh, hub to hong kong and uh, now there's just a handful, one or two, you know. So mm. until we get the airlines back in business, it's going to be hard to get the tourist numbers that we used to get. Um, Alan, I, I was told that uh, there might be a structural problem, that airlines have been very cautious uh, about increasing flights because there are simply not enough pilots and uh, cabin crew around because that's, in the last three years uh, they were laid off and it's not easy correct. to recruit them all over again. Do you, well, do you see that, that coming? That is- that is correct. That, that is correct, uh, because a lot of them have joined other airlines, uh, that other countries where airlines uh, didn't have the restrictions that we had here. And so uh, they, uh, I know CAFE is now uh, has a program to train a lot of new pilots and trying to attract more pilots. Uh, that's one of the problems, and they don't expect that, to, I think, to, uh, um, to basically get better until uh, the, the end of 2024. So I think we have uh, 2023 and 2024 to uh, to work through mm. uh, without you know without yeah, airplane you know enough uh, flights coming to Hong Kong. It's hard to attract overseas tourists or the amount that we used to in the past. Right, and what about uh, the catering uh, sector, the FNB people? Is it is it difficult to recruit or not really? Well, I think all over the world at the moment. I also have hotels in Thailand and Phuket, and it is very difficult because what COVID did was a lot of people left the industries because they lost their jobs and they left the industries that they were in, and uh, they joined other industries that came back quicker. And uh, it's very hard to recruit at the moment. That's that's the hardest thing at the moment is, is recruiting staff. All of my tenants are complaining to me that uh, they just have a, a very, very difficult uh, period. I think it's time that maybe the government will have to start allowing more uh, tourists, or more immigrants or people to come to Hong Kong, uh, especially in the labor section. 
Um, and I know there'll be an outcry from some of the unions, but I really think we need to get um, labor back. It's very important. Otherwise, salaries just keep going up and up and up, and, uh, and prices will just rise and it'll cause inflation. So I think it's really important that uh, we, we start to look at the economy, start to see some of the structural problems we have and find a way to get back to normal. Okay, well, thanks very much for contributing to the programme this morning. That was uh, Alan Zeman, chairman of the Langkwai Fong Group. Uh, Professor Dennis Zakharin, please stay with us. We're just going to take a a short break for a news summary and a couple of announcements. We'll be back at around about uh, uh, 9.33. We're talking about the the mask mandate and the prospects of it being uh, uh, removed um, pretty soon. uh, get in touch, feel free. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call on 233 And just a reminder that uh, after 9.45, for the last part of this morning's programme, we'll be looking at the impact of, of new rules uh, relating to uh, children's uh, television. Okay, uh, let's uh, have a quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, mainly fine, um, cool in the mornings, uh, dry during the day, top temperature around 22 degrees. Uh, The outlook, uh, fine and dry in the next few days. Uh, Temperature difference between day and night, relatively large. It's currently 16 degrees. Humidity is at 71%. New summary coming up. A medical expert from the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health has told RTHK Hong Kong should drop its mask mandate everywhere, except in healthcare centres. Vijay Dhanasekharan said the population here now had enough immunity from vaccinations and previous COVID infections. A Greenpeace campaigner has described the smuggling of e-waste as a deep-rooted problem in Hong Kong that will likely increase now that quarantine restrictions have been dropped. Chan Holshan was commenting after customs yesterday seized electronic waste worth about $12 million, which they suspect was being smuggled out of Hong Kong. And overseas, the British Prime Minister and the head of the European Commission have hailed a revised deal over a long-disputed part of the Brexit agreement as opening a new chapter in relations. Rishi Sunak and Ursula von der Leyen met yesterday to finalise the agreement over changes to the Northern Ireland Protocol. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. The bank wants me to click this link to confirm a transfer. A government department called and says I've broken the law. It asked me to click this link to enter login details. A new payee in my bank account? Do I need to click this link to check? Banks will never ask you to log into your internet banking account or provide personal information through links in SMS messages or email. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority reminds you, protect your personal digital keys. Beware of fraudulent links. I am Donnie Yen, contactless e-channels, the fusion of technology with quality service. Download the contactless e-channel mobile app and complete the enrollment through I am Smart. Generate the QR code to enter an e-channel. Face the camera and perform facial verification. Immigration clearance is swift, contactless, and more hygienic. Fingerprint verification can still be used. Contactless e-channels, leading a new way to the future. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. 
I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned, Stay tuned. with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome back to Backchat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And uh, for our main topic this morning, we're going to continue with that. We're talking about the the ongoing uh, mask mandate uh, uh, with uh, growing expectations that it's going to be... Um, it's going to be relaxed, um, possibly very soon. So uh, we have with us on the line Dr. Vijay Denisakaran, Associate Professor at the Division of Public Health Laboratory Sciences at Hong Kong U. And also joining us now on the line is uh, Agnes Lam, Associate Professor of Communication at the University of Macau. Um, I have an, an email here from uh, uh, listener Lee. It's, it's quite long, so I'll just read the first part because uh, time is a bit tight. Lee says uh, um, a couple of points I'd like to make. Why wait? What's the point of waiting? What difference is it going to make apart from reminding the rest of the world that Hong Kong is the last place with a mask mandate? What do these health officials know that the rest of the world doesn't know? Besides, most people will probably keep wearing them in the short term. Just make it optional now. And the majority of us are probably not wearing the mask properly anyway, putting it in our pocket or bag, touching it with our hands, etc. It's all just false assurances. Um, Professor Danisakarin, um, how effective has the mask wearing been in terms of uh, limiting the number of infections and limiting the pressure on the health system? Um, it has changed since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, early estimates when we did not have a vaccine and it was early variants which were not that transmissible as well. And we, I mean, there were studies showing a reduction of 10, 10 to 20 percent in terms of number of cases overall. Mm. Yeah. So it's not as effective as everybody thought. Would that be I correct mean, to say um, so? I mean, I think the, the utility of the masks, it has been misunderstood quite, um, quite extensively since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, before we had vaccines, that was the only choice we had apart from social distancing to limit the spread of the virus. And if everybody is wearing a, uh, wearing a mask and if you're not allowing them to dine in as well, that, that's what we had earlier, that you can't dine out with your friends. And if that's the situation, yes, that's the best way to con control the virus. But now we have a scenario where everybody has immunity and everybody takes off their masks once they want to, once, once they meet somebody immediately. So we have a completely different social dynamic now. And um, what I'm trying to say is that the masks are really not useful now, but it was use much useful in the, in the beginning of the pandemic. Yes, but I also have friends, uh, well, you know, they're sort of older and they say if, um, you know, if even there's no mask mandate, they're so used to it, they get a bit nervous. So it's a little bit psychological. They think that they will continue to wear it. Do you see these people as well? I mean, uh, certainly, I think, right. So that has something, I mean, I think it's, it's good, social and cultural aspects which where, uh, where they are extremely afraid of the actual virus because they are elderly. And uh, building trust um, in, in the vaccine takes time, and that's something that we need to work on in the future, to build trust in the, in the healthcare system, in vaccines, and it really works, and we have extensive amount of data that it works. So they don't really have to worry so much now 
um, going out for the vaccine unless they have, you know, some immune conditions or other comorbidities. But but like I said, right, this individual risk is what the government needs to have focused on right from the beginning. And we had now, you know, we've lost a year already by trying to educate the public in terms of what the actual benefits are in terms of wearing the mask and who should wear the mask. And that's something the, the, the government should really focus on at this point. Okay. Okay. Well, also with us now is Agnes Lam, uh, as I say, Associate Professor of Communication at the University of Macau. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jim and Ada and uh, Professor. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, yeah. Mm. Just re reading about um, people out and about in Macau yesterday, it seemed that even with the men ending of the mask mandate, uh, that a lot of people were still uh, wearing uh, face masks uh, in the streets. Uh, um, how do you account for that? And is it, is it going to take a long time for people to get used to the, the, you know, the freedom to make the choice for themselves now? Yeah, actually, I think so. I think what Ada just said that I think uh, people in Macau also kind of feel safe uh, psychologically to keep their mask on. So yesterday when I went to the, I went to a class and then I found out that I was the only one that <laughs> without mask <laughs> and I found it, I, I was kind of shocking. So then I talked to the students and also talked to some colleagues and then they all, they all said more or less a similar thing is that, okay, once we are, we have to have it wearing mask, uh, to home, to live home and then now we feel safe and then we don't need to show our face to people and then we don't to have makeup, we don't need to shave, you know. So it's more or less a kind of similar uh, reason, and people still feel that it's kind of safe um, to keep some kind of interpersonal uh, distance. And so it wasn't really about public health, but there are also people they are afraid of the flu, and so because mm. uh, people are afraid that we don't have the immunity to against the flu, and so they want to. That's that's a healthy reason. But a lot of people are still wearing it because psychologically they just feel safe to keep distance with other people. And, yeah, and I, suppose, I guess this, yeah, sorry, this sorry, will go, go down, ahead. you know, this... Uh this sort of psychological concern uh, will go down pretty soon. And in particular for younger children, I don't know whether from your perspective you think it is actually um, more difficult for the younger students to adjust because, uh, let's say, primary school, they have been wearing masks for the last few years. They probably don't know, you know, what, uh, what, their, um, what their other um, peers look like. So the students sitting next to them, they probably have not seen them without masks. Yeah, actually, I think for the for the younger uh, students, I think maybe grade uh, one, two, three, four, and so they it might take them longer time to uh, yeah to go without masks. And then, but I think for the elder, uh, the older primary students, and then they are very exciting about that, especially those that who've been to school without masks. And then I saw some kids; they were kind of feeling exciting, taking Joe around yesterday. But uh, for the for the younger kids. Uh, there will be difficulty for them, and so it would be also kind of they might find funny. So, so my friend uh, from a kindergarten told me, a kin uh, kindergarten teacher told me, and so that the students were, were basically laugh when they saw the face of the teacher, even that she smiled or not, they were just laughing there. <laughs> yeah, so I think that all those kind of <laughs> all of the habits, and also kind of uh, how how the how the younger kids. They perceive the world and perceive the relationship with people, perceive their face, and then perceive the interpersonal relationship. It would take like maybe a couple of months uh, to adjust. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Vijay, um, so Agnes Lam just mentioned people there being concerned about flu. I mean, we've never had a mask mm -hmm. mandate for 
for flu, although um, obviously uh, with the fact that most people have been wearing masks for the last uh, three years or so, I mean, uh, should we be concerned about our uh, level of resistance uh, towards influenza? Yeah, I think there is a general concern that the, the, the population level immunity towards influenza has waned because we haven't really had a, 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 a citywide circulation of the virus. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the best thing to do against influenza virus is really get the flu shot. Mm. Um, it is again recommended uh, for a certain age categories of children and uh, it works really well. It matches with the circulating strains globally. Um, when the actual outbreak occurs, it's really hard to predict how it's going to happen uh, because we still have some sort of control measures going on because people's attitudes have changed these days. But when you look at, uh, for example, UK, um, after two and two and a half years, there was a flu epidemic. It, it was it was big, but it was really quick in the sense that previously, mm. we'd, you know, you'd, you'd see the spread across the, the country much slower, but now it was spreading really quickly. So we can actually expect um, a substantial flu epidemic once it starts. However, given how the population's behaviour changes over time as well. Um, Dr. Vijay, I know that you're from the School of Public Health, but you know, I, I just want to uh, ask about the, the children's angle. You know, for children who have been, uh, you know, putting on masks, um, of course, we talked about uh, the psychological effects just now, but um, uh, other effects, would, would they be more prone to um, flu or other um, illnesses after they take off their mask? Because children, they interact with each other a lot. I mean, that's right, actually. I mean, so uh, interestingly, we, we haven't had flu, but we have had uh, other viruses, such as rhinoviruses, which cause common cold within Hong Kong, even when during the pandemic. Every time the schools relaxed measures, and once the school started, we were seeing small epidemics of rhinoviruses picking up. And we could also see rare, you know, there's like 10 or 15 other viruses which commonly circulate in, in children and other uh, adults as well. And we could detect them circulating. So it's not particularly because of the masks, I think. It's because of, you know, children in close proximity spending a lot of time together. Um, and you are, they are bound to uh, uh, get infected and spread the virus. So I don't really think the mask is the actual effect. Um, it's just that we haven't seen the flu virus come into the city and kick off yet. So if that happens, obviously we're going to see outbreaks in schools. But we have seen this uh, repeatedly for many years and we have various measures for controlling, like, for example, school closures and things like that we have done in the past. And it has been proved quite effective in terms of uh, containing the epidemic within the city in the past as well. OK, well, uh, I can make a little announcement now because we've just heard uh, some uh, breaking news. Um, so, uh, OK, thanks. Just things are arriving on my uh, desk uh, in the studio. So uh, Chief Executive John Lee has announced that uh, masks will no longer be required uh, both indoors and outdoors, but will still need to be worn uh, in some premises. Uh, and that announcement comes uh, the day after Macau uh, lifted its general outdoor mask-wearing uh, requirements. So, so there we are. That's the, the, the looks like yeah. the, the end of the mask mandate in Hong Kong. But well, I, 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 yeah. guess, I guess, uh, I guess, I guess, uh, well, um, well, I think uh, we, I, I we are now, uh, you know, uh, going further from Macau because uh, Macau, <laughs> yeah. you still need to wear a mask uh, on public transport. So, Agnes, what, what's, what's your yes. view? Do you think Macau will drop uh, the public transport sort of restrictions very soon as well? Uh, I don't think so. I think that um, it, it might take them a longer while because uh, in Macau we have a lot of tourists. 
And so then we we already require no um, you know uh, no no test result you know to enter Macau. And so uh, it, it might be I think it will be maybe until the summer at least. And so we still need to wear masks and masks. And also I think it is still kind of strict uh, to go into some uh, uh, hospital and yeah some other you know medical institution. It is still very strict, and then they still um, we still need to wear masks. Okay. Okay. I, actually, I should uh, quickly add that uh, uh, people can w go mask-free here from tomorrow. It, it's, been, it's been announced uh, just now, but it's, uh, it takes effect. It takes effect from tomorrow. So, listeners, uh, remember to keep your mask on until uh, until tomorrow morning. Um, uh, can I just quickly ask you, uh, Professor Danisakaran? Most of us uh, have haven't really lived through a proper pandemic before. Um, is this what the end of a, of a pandemic feels like? I mean, it's sort of a, it, 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 it seems to have come to an end very quickly. Anyway, we were we were taking precautions and wearing masks for a long, long time, and then and then the the sort of the exit has come very fast. Uh, travel restrictions removed, and now the mask mandate is gone. Is uh, <laughs> is this what we should have been expecting? It's funny that how you say it very soon. Yeah. Um, even having discussions about this for a while. Certainly, I think this is how uh, pandemics usually sort of end. Yeah. Um, usually, it's not as if there's an end date. It's just that other problems take precedence. Um, that's literally how I think past pandemics have, have ended and really people wanting to try and rebuild the economy that's been lost mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, getting together and doing things that they've missed. And certainly this is a welcome move and, and quite happy that this has finally happened. Mm -hmm. Can we can we can we really now consider the pandemic to be over? Oh, um, I mean, at the I mean, pandemic is at the global scale, and I'm not the person who's supposed to make those decisions. Right. But uh, but personally, I think we are at that sort of stage where um, we don't have to be particularly concerned about COVID-19. But having mm -hmm. said that, we still have um, the, the most highest mortality rate among the elderly is due to COVID-19, mm -hmm. and that's something that's that what governments and public health systems need to focus on, build trust. You know, like uh, taking some uh, hint on, um, um, uh, from Alan Zeman, we need to rebuild, you know, a world-class health system which doesn't get affected by any outbreaks in the future. Having so much of experience and dealt with this, I think that's really what we need now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, great. Well, well, thank you very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on this morning's programme. That was Dr. Vijay Danisakaran, Associate Professor at the Division of Public Health Laboratory Sciences at University of Hong Kong. And we also heard from uh, Agnes Lam. Thanks to Agnes Lam, Associate Professor of Communication at the University of Macau. And for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, uh, as mentioned before, we're going to switch our attention uh, to another topic. And that is changes to the rules uh, relating uh, to uh, television licences and, and in particular uh, children's TV. Um, this comes from, uh, in fact, there was a letter in the South China Morning Post from uh, Billy Wong, who's the uh, executive secretary of the Hong Kong Committee on Children's Rights, uh, saying that, well, because of the changes, uh, low-income families might miss out because um, the scheduling requirements for children's TV are going to be changed. Uh, uh, there'll be less children's uh, TV required, uh, uh, 14 hours a week. And also, uh, it can be uh, put in a block, put in blocks rather than uh, spread out on different days. Uh, uh, Ms. Wong, Billy Wong, joined us uh, on the line now. Good morning to you. 
I'm sure a great many people will be also, yes, yes, yes. Could you just uh, maybe outline your concerns about this a little bit more, about children's TV? Yeah, I, I think um, um, uh, the concern is uh, they are going to cut uh, the children, the hours of children's program uh, severely by 50% to only 40 hours per week mm-hmm. uh, for each TV station. So if you we talk about uh, example like TVB, that means 40 hours could be split between the Channel J and Channel Pearl. Mm-hmm. That means a quite a severe cut for children. Um, then they, the moment they can enjoy it uh, in front of TV is uh, greatly affected. And also, they, as you mentioned, they allow it uh, to put the children's program in a block instead of a daily quota. And we are very concerned about the family viewing time. Mm. Um, because uh, right now, the family viewing time, we're talking about like 4 o'clock in the afternoon to 8 or 8.30 in the evening. So um, during this time, it's very clear that the licensing could not uh, broadcast any offensive materials. And we're expecting the parents to, like, they can choose a company their kids to in front of the TV to guide them, or they can, like, leave their children uh, to the TV and they can do some family chores around. Um, without affecting the children negatively. So if they now put them in a block, what will be the what the original uh, spirit? How can they handle it to make sure that the, the parents can be, uh, they can reassure that everything is healthy for the children and good for their development? Right. So um, I think uh, this kind of discussion is seldom uh uh, talk about uh, in the public or in the media and that make the government uh, can make such a recommendation without public's attention. So we want to raise it and that's why we write to the newspapers. Yeah. Right, uh, so there has been no public consultation, right, Ms. Wong, uh, on this? Uh, but uh, on I'm the other sure hand... Maybe they can, uh, they, their consultation okay. uh, may be among the TV stations. Okay. But I think for the TV stations, it is a very low priority for them because of uh, advertisement restrictions kind of stuff. Mm. So uh, I think it, they will be very happy. But for the public, it has an impact on children and families. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, on the other hand, Ms. Wong, I think um, times have changed and um, mm. the viewing habits of children have also changed or, you know, what they do after school. So now mm. we, uh, we have dropped our mask mandate and schools have returned to normal. So if we are mm. looking at uh, primary school kids, uh, they will uh, get off school at uh, after 3, 3.30. And mm. when they get home, they have to do homework. And uh, uh, in your view, you know, how important is children's TV sort of uh, at that time, uh, um, like from 4 to 6 before dinner? Is it really popular among children uh, and, mm. and the families you know? Yeah, I, I think your comments partly right. And I think many people, when they think about, oh, children's program cut is okay, because many people comment it's very boring and children now turn to online games or there are many uh, paid TV channels online. They can do it 
But I think for I think in the past three years, the pandemic has already give us a signal that for low income families, even for education, they have challenges and big challenges for them to to have Wi Fi and free data to support their children to have online class. So now, when we talk about just free leisure and entertainment, I think it would be very difficult for these low income families. And and then I think the uh, the number of low income family is quite high. I can't I, I can't for, uh, remember the exact percentage in Hong Kong. But so I, I think it is a very clear message that the uh, our government sometimes they introduce policies without really seeing the impact on children and their so lack of a child rights perspective. Mm. But what, yeah. what are the alternatives? So, for example, I know the you know the grassroots families are served by um, non-profit organizations in their own communities, and uh, sometimes I do see um, mothers uh, taking the children uh, to like a um, you know, children's center where they have books to read, or where mm-hmm. they have social workers. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. providing sort of learning and entertainment for them. Could that be sort of improved and expanded? While, um, honestly, free TV, sometimes the programs are okay, sometimes, as you say, are boring, and there's not much education in that anyhow, yeah. right? Yeah, I think uh, the programs that men, uh, you mentioned is okay, uh, uh, should be encouraged as well. But I think um, we should have a variety. And don't forget that Hong Kong has signed the Convention on the Rights of the Child, and it is a duty of the government to encourage the mass media to provide appropriate information for the children. So um, I, I don't see in the past, after the baby boom, in the past few decades, I don't see any encourage or positive sign from the government, which they actually put efforts or investment in our children's programs. So it ends up, it become a vicious cycle. And many, uh, all the TV channels actually uh, they put very low priority on children's programs, and so uh, the time they uh, invest in it and uh, the uh, content is uh, not so satisfactory. So we actually, when we uh, report to the United Nations Committee on the Rights of the Child uh, some years ago, we already uh, mentioned that the government should uh, uh, is less on a free children's channel with uh, programs which are age-specific for different age group of children. And they should also set up uh, a children's program development fund. We can make reference like the film development firm right now to encourage people to, uh, to produce quality children's programs. I'm sure if there's such a uh, development fund here, Lots of in- people will uh, will produce good programs with the with the funding, and and we have a, a lot of universities which they have a media uh, media education department. So there are also institutions which are good at child development. So so there are lots of opportunities. It's only our government don't want to treat it as a high priority. And that's why it comes into a vicious cycle. Yeah. 
There's also going to be a change to the requirement for locally produced uh, programmes, uh, isn't, isn't there? Yeah. So, so uh, TV companies may be able to outsource or, or buy in programmes yeah. from outside. Um, how concerned yeah. are you about that? Yeah, I, I think, um, um, as I mentioned, the Convention on the Rights to, of the mm. Child states clear that these children have the right to receive information uh, and material of the, to their social and cultural benefits, and then they need to respect the development of the child's own cultural identity, language, and values, as well as civilization around the world. And if you look at the broadcasting license regulations around the world, there are requirements for the percentage of local productions for TV, uh, children's TV programs. Uh, we can quote the example like Australia have, they have like 55%, Canada they have 60%, and France uh, 40%. We can see such a percentage in Hong Kong. But uh, so, so I think why these uh, governments in overseas countries, they have to set a percentage because it's also um, to uh, to go in line with the Convention on the Rights of the Child. So the children can look at the world at the same time, understand their own society, culture, and environment. So if there's a big change that, that I'm sure the, the TV channels will easily switch to buying outsource, buying other programs, um, and then the, and this will a lack of intimacy for children to connect and especially for young children so we don't want to see this happen why hong kong why hong kong do not deserve have a good tv program for our children when when i was small i have a lot of good children tv programs but why children nowadays they can only switch to other production products produced by other countries so yeah, what is good? What strange. what is good in your view, Miss Wong? Um, uh, yeah. Not normally, I see a lot of cartoons uh, on the TVB channels. That's not really good, right? Yeah, I think um, cartoons. I love cartoons too. <laughs> I think cartoons is good, but I I think we also need to have TV programs that can let children interact, like have games, interaction. They can call and they can also be a host. Uh, uh, join in as hosts in the TV programs. That's also important. I know uh, a lot of children and young people around me, when they were, uh, they were small, they did uh, participate in some of the children's programs. They enjoy it very much. And I think the children nowadays also deserve to have this opportunity uh, that they have programs they really enjoy and want to interact with it. You, you mean uh, interacting as uh, audience members, being there in the studio while it was being produced? Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah, why not? Mm, mm. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I really hope the government and I hope uh, more politicians will echo that, that um, we have like uh, a slightly over 1 billion children population under the age of 18. So I think Children's Programme Development Fund is a really uh, very realistic uh, and also a potential opportunity for Hong okay. Kong to uh, invest and and to make uh, Hong Kong more fun 
Okay. Thank yeah. you. Thank, oh, well, unfortunately, we're out of time. That brings us to the end of the programme this morning. Thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the show today. Uh, that was Billy Wong, who's uh, Executive Secretary of the Hong Kong Committee on Children's Rights. Uh, stand by for the news summary and brunch with Noreen. <laughs>